Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It's Monday evening here in the DMV. And the Commanders, uh, it's one day removed from that brutal loss against the Giants. And just, what, 72 hours or so away from getting back on the field, facing the Dallas Cowboys in a Thanksgiving Day game. I'll, I'll be in Dallas. I was in Ashburn today. And I also today had the chance to speak with our guy Al Galdi back for his um, bi-weekly chat here on the podcast as we go back and forth with, with our other with each other's shows. Uh, we of course talked about all that went wrong in that game, but we really mostly try to spin it forward where this team goes from here, and also kind of look at various ways in which this team got to this point. Um, and, and talked it through uh, in that regard. Then the legend Rick Doc Walker himself joined me today as well. We, of course, got Doc's take on where this team is at right now. But I also asked him about if he speaks to the owners, perhaps. And they said, hey, Doc, we talk about culture a lot. What do we need to do here? To get this thing back, not to Joe Gibbs 1.0 level, but to be competitive, to be a, a, a group that, you know, to be proud of, to, to say, hey, this is what it means to be a, a member of the Commanders. Uh, Doc gave us that view as a former player and longtime analyst. He also uh, addressed the topic that's been out there now, of course, and that is, does it make any sense to give Eric Bieniemy? The interim title now, uh, Doc weighed in on that. So we'll get to that, and I'll share some quick thoughts here from today at practice uh, in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. In addition, for those of you who subscribe to The Athletic or those of you not yet ready to make that jump, I'll have a new story up Tuesday morning. I know it doesn't feel like there's a lot to be thankful for, uh, when you're reading for this four and seven team, but I, I came up with ten reasons for fans to be hopeful this time of the year. So you can check that out. And if you're not a subscriber, we have got a deal right now, Black Friday deal. I believe it's a dollar a month for twelve months. So if you click on one of my articles, you'll see the deal there, and you can get in the athletic. Um, all right, a couple quick notes here before we get to the guys. We saw last night, or sorry, yesterday in the game, F.A. Obata suffered a leg injury in the first quarter, was carted off. Uh, I reported today that he suffered multiple leg fractures and had surgery last night. The team placed him on IR on Monday. Tough blow. F.A. Obata is a really popular figure in the locker room. Very nice guy. He's also a 2024 free agent, so obviously a tough blow. For him in that regard, uh, in terms of the commanders right now, it thins out an already uh, thin group of defensive ends. 
Not sure if James Smith-Williams will be playing this week. Kind of thinking he won't. But now you've got Casey Tuhill, K.J. Henry, Andre Jones. They elevated Josh Pryor last week. I assume that would happen again off the practice squad. And then today they, they signed a defensive end off the Bears practice squad. Uh, I believe Jalen Harris is his name to join the roster as well. So young group, inexperienced group going up against the Dallas Cowboys week that this week, we will see how that goes. Uh, the team did not practice today. They had a walkthrough. So all the injury reports or estimations will get a, a full report tomorrow on Tuesday. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig to see that. I say Twitter, it's X, but you know, I think you guys know what I mean. Um, so what else? Uh, Ron Rivera today, he spoke about, well, he spoke, you know, he spoke last night after the game and he spoke again today. And we've reached a point now where it's a little challenging to get too many specifics out of, out of Rivera. The, the football game itself, I'm not discounting it at all, but, you know, talking about how do you beat the Cowboys seems a little hollow at the moment when this team has, you know, been so underwhelming, particularly on defense, that, and, and with the season at four and seven, the playoffs, like, uh, today, the, the odds of the Commanders getting the number one overall pick are just a tick over 1%. They currently have the seventh pick if the season ended today. The odds of them making the playoffs, according to the New York Times playoff tracker, is a little bit lower at 1%. So right now there's a better chance of them getting the number one pick than making the playoffs. Um, that said, you know, we try to ask Rivera, you know, where he's at with this group, what kind of changes could be made, et cetera. And I also asked him, hey, you know, you have said at times this year you will do what you think is right for this team, that you will do what is best for this organization, implying at least that he's not going to make some crazy moves, signings, trades, whatever, to help his personal cause. Uh, obviously, the trades of Sweat and Young for future picks would not help the cause of a coach who is um, looking like is going to be um, his final year with the team, barring the unforeseen. Now, of course, I don't believe he made that deal. He made that. He made those trades on his own. I think he had influence for sure from ownership. That said, I asked him if that if that philosophy is true that he's going to do its best for the team. What does that mean for these last six games? He said, "Quote: The biggest thing more than anything else is we got to play them one at a time and see what happens to see how it unfolds. If you're implying that I am looking to the future as far as the draft, no, I am looking into the future as far as we play on Thanksgiving against Dallas. Yes, we are getting ready to play Dallas. That's all I can tell you." And that is a reasonable point for sure as the head coach of the team. But seeing as how he is also the head of the front office, you know, yeah, this is where wearing dual hats becomes tricky. Logically, you would think a team in Washington's position may say, hey, we've got right now, again, projected the seventh pick. You don't try to lose the games as the players and the coaches. But do you take this opportunity to give some of your younger players 
more of a more of a run, or maybe shake up various lineups, try different things. It seems to me that the answer would be yes. At the moment, that doesn't seem to be the case. Now, this is a short week, so I wouldn't expect major changes for Dallas, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But going from there for the last five games, um, as far as you know, changes changes with the staff. You know, again, not expecting anything to happen this week. I'm really not sure I'm expecting anything to happen overall. I, I do think there's some ways you could go. Should they? I'm not. I, I'm never advocating for somebody to lose their job. But should Washington decide what changes could be made? You know, I am curious about in the secondary. You know, the numbers have been way off this year for in pass coverage for the Commanders in terms of giving up um, explosive plays. They have been among the league's worst this year uh, in numerous categories compared to the previous three years with Chris Harris as defensive backs coach. Significantly better. Obviously, the defense was much better the first in 2020 and 2022. Uh, you know, Wieselmeyer is a guy we don't really talk about him much. We talk about the Commanders all the time. Wieselmeyer was a former high school coach who spent a year at uh, Houston Baptist as a, a co-defensive coordinator before he elevated to Oakland or to the Raiders uh, where Jack Del Rio was the coach. He spent three there, three years there as an assistant. When Del Rio was fired, he went to the University of Kansas as an offensive analyst. He then went back to the high school ranks to be a head coach before in, out in California before joining Washington in 2020. And he got elevated to being the assistant DB's coach to the head guy this year. Um, you know, look, this is a young group, and they have clearly – uh, had some tr- had some troubles, you know. Other than Kendall Fuller and I guess Danny Johnson, all these guys are still on their rookie deals. This is where I think teaching really comes into play. And you know, I, I couldn't begin to tell you how good of a of a coach or how not good of a coach Wieselmeyer is. By the way, I'll be saying similar things. Should Washington be in a position to hire a head coach or a coordinator or what have you? And they're doing it from somebody from the um, assistant ranks. So it's it's hard to tell. You, you you just don't know, especially for those of us on the outside. We're not speaking to these people. We're not in the meeting rooms. You know, you can't always talk to all the players who've been under uh, under their uh, tutelage, etc. But I'm just pointing out the numbers. They have been far worse this year with uh with, without Chris Harris or with Wieselmeyer, depending on how you want to look at it. And again, I, I don't think it makes much sense to f- remove anybody at this point in the year. But rather than just simply saying, get rid of Rivera, get rid of one of the coordinators, what what have you, maybe consider, you know, if, if something has to change, maybe there's something to look at there. Or at a minimum, it's to note that one of the failures, I think, for this staff or this organization has been a reliance on people that you know, rather than necessarily trying to find better options or people outside your comfort zone. Um, and just to give you a couple quick numbers and before we get to Al and Doc, uh, in 20, from 20, 2020 to 2022, True Media tracks explosive play percentage by opponents. Washington's 9.8, tied for third best. That's all plays. This year, Washington's explosive play percentage, 12.3, tied for fourth worst. Uh 
2020-2022, opponents 16 or more yards in receptions. This is what is defined as an explosive pass play by True Media. Washington had 211, fourth best overall in that stretch. This year, Washington has allowed the first, or has allowed the most passes of 16 plus yards, 65. Last year, the entire season, they only allowed 62, third best. We have seen broken coverages consistently. The Giants did that often, even with, you know, not the most explosive passing attack. Tommy DeVito at quarterback, and Washington still struggled mightily. So, you know, I. Again, not saying that changing the defensive backs coach is going to matter as much at this point in the year. I am saying for those out there who want change for the sake of change, or at least to see what might be different down the stretch, to me, something like that would make more sense because at least perhaps you're giving different eyes on the problem, giving different tutelage out there. Um, I don't, but but more specifically, I just think that when you look back at it's, it's, it's important in life to try to break out of your comfort zone when possible. And it's not, it's not always easy. I'm not always great at that, but at the same time, it's something that's important. And I think it's especially important in an organizational situation like Washington to get different points of view, get different perspectives. And when something isn't working, try something different. And Washington, as we know, between the commanders, um, uh, the, the little bit of the uh, the, the Chiefs have, have, have followed the enemy, and now this. Totally understand why it's easier to fall back on relationships that you have, but sometimes that is not always the best way, and perhaps we've seen some of that over these four years with the staff in terms of how this team has gone. And to be clear, I think some of the coaches that have come over with Rivera have been very good. Um, but... To something to consider as we have these further conversations about what's kind of happened here over the last four years. All right, uh, let's get to it. Let's start with Al Galdi. Again, we talked about the Giants game, but also try to spin this forward to what comes next. And then with Doc Walker, asked him some bigger picture questions about how this thing can get turned around and whether an interim coach matters uh, or would be a, would be a good solution with six games to go. Let's do that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Uh, Al Galdi is with me for our weekly chat. Last week, of course, I was on his podcast. This week, he's on mine, back and forth. You know how the game goes by now. Um, we were just chatting right before we came on, and we've determined that um, Hope, you know, we, we may live in the DMV. Hope no longer does, at least for the 2023 season. This is where we've come to, and it's before Thanksgiving, Al. Um, you know, even in the recent Rivera years where things were not always smooth, they had to always have these rallies, they at least, you know, 2020, they win the division. 2021, the Heineke, uh, Heineke rallies them from, uh, what, two and six to six and six, right? Last year, they're seven, five and one. Not this year. How, how, uh, how is that big brain of yours processing where this team is right now? Uh, it's it's bad, man. It's really unfortunate. The thing that I keep coming back to is this team was 2-0. and Like, we had the first 2-0 and start to a regular season for this team since 2011. And so off that, 
to be now four and seven, to lose seven of nine since the two and zero start. That just really stands out to me because if you could go back in time and talk to all of us right off the two and zero start, you would have said, "All right, two and zero. I mean, that puts you on a path to say, I don't know, five and three, five and four, six and four, like something halfway decent, ten games into the season or so." And instead, four and seven. Like, how many people realistically realistically thought that four and seven? would be the mark 11 games into the season off the 2-0 and start, especially when you consider what the schedule has been up to this point, which is not overly difficult. And also when you consider, and I feel like this is something that we're not appreciating enough, this team has been pretty healthy this season. Like, this is not a team that has been ripped by injury or anything like that. For the most part, your key guys have been healthy. I mean, if you want to talk about Derek Forrest, okay. But, like, beyond that, Cody Barton. Uh, and instead, it's, like, completely fallen apart. Uh, and I have a hard time getting past that. I, I find that to be pretty remarkable where we were just a few months ago uh, to uh, where we are right now. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it's interesting. You mentioned the two and zero start and I remember like, okay, they, they, they kind of eked out the game against the Cardinals, but like, okay, Sam Howell's kind of first real start. It's the opening game. The defense had some really imposing moments. Next week, Denver. Hey, Sam Howell, big on the road. Okay, maybe Denver's not as good as um, everybody thought. You look back on it now. I mean, Arizona had Josh Dobbs starting. Josh Dobbs has become the folk hero for the 2023 NFL season, but he'd only been with Arizona for like a couple of, a couple of weeks at that point, and Arizona was projected to be the worst team in the league. I don't know if I would if I, if Washington would want to face a Josh Dobbs led team right now, which is a funny thing to say. And then you look at Denver, the week after they give up 35 points to Washington, they give up 70 to Miami, they go, they, they're one and four, and somehow they're now five and five. It, it, my, and I guess my point is to say, you know, you never know how these things go, but if you jumbled up the schedule and put those two games a little bit later, I'd, I think they w- it would even be worse. I mean, it is... I, I think they're lucky to have four wins when you consider... The only wins they have were against Arizona, Denver when Denver was miserable, and Atlanta team that's sort of like Washington, just sort of, eh, and New England who's awful. Like, and then they've gotten you know blown out by other teams, and they, I mean, and to lose to the Giants twice and the Bears, I mean, it's really like sometimes you can't see it in the moment. It has to, you have to wait it out and see the bigger picture. We can see it now. This is just simply not a good team. And I think to some degree, we've all been fooling ourselves. I mean, obviously there's talent and things should have been better. Like you said, no real injuries. The schedule's been easy. This is just not a good team. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to pile on. I'm not trying to say or to say something that sounds obvious, but like th- th- that's where we've been here this whole season, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, the point differential certainly speaks to that minus 69 on the season. You know, I mean, that's not close to being good. And, you know, it's almost like the football gods are making it as clear as can be that change is what is needed. You know, you could maybe delude yourself the last three years, right? 2020, they win the division, albeit at 7-9. 2021, COVID hits. If not for that, maybe possibly the team ends up being better than 7-10. and 10. And then last season, you know, 500 record. Uh, if not for that debacle of a performance against Cleveland, maybe just maybe you're talking about a playoff team. But, like, there's no deluding yourself with this team this season. And 
you know, it really is sobering, like beyond the obvious bright spot of Sam Howell, who I do think is the number one bright spot by far. Name me another legitimate bright spot to this commander season. Like name me a player or a unit or a thing about this season that has been a real bright spot beyond Sam. I think you're hard pressed to come up with something like even the guys who we like are not having like overwhelmingly great seasons, you know, like Terry McLaurin. I don't know that it's his fault, but he's not having some banner season. You know, we've talked about John Allen and Deron Payne. I think in a lot of ways they're having disappointing seasons. Uh, you know, Brian Robinson is a pass catcher. Okay, like that's a bright spot. Fine. But like beyond Sam, there's really not a lot to cling to here. And, and I think that's another aspect of this season that really is emerging. If not for him, then who? Then what <laughs> would we be hanging our hats on? Uh, with this East season. So, you know, it just, it feels like the football gods are over communicating to all of us. Principal among us, Josh Harris of, you know, change is needed. Winter needs to be coming. And, you know, when exactly that happens, we don't know, but you know, it's coming at this point and it's too bad. I mean, I know you're a reporter. You got to play it sort of neutral. Like I'm a fan. I want the team to do well. I've always wanted Ron Rivera to do well, but it's not happening. It's not working. It's not working. And even like the biggest Ron supporter at this point, can't build a credible case for keeping him you know like at this point massive sweeping change is what is needed and I think everyone recognizes that right I mean we'll get to Sam Howell in a second but you know his big talking point for the last month has been hey at least we found the quarterback well okay I, I mean he's certainly promising I certainly would say at this point he how is the starting QB next year is the odds on favorite for because he's been good and also the contract but yesterday was another example where he's young. He, th- th- things are going to happen. I'm not being critical of Sam, but it's just like, could we maybe slow down? We still don't know. I mean, you know, he he still is a work in progress, which is fine. But that's the one thing Rivera's hanging his hat on, essentially that and the culture. And okay, I'll give him that. But in terms of the the the, the, the roster and everything else, yeah, like you said, I don't even know what to point to. I and sort of kind of what you were saying. I, I made this point last night. Um, after the game with uh, Bram Weinstein here uh, that I was like, you know, I think the problem for this team is that whenever anything happens, when something goes wrong, there is no strength to lean on. There is no floor for this team. Like last year, no matter what, the defense played well. And for the most part of the last few years, you could always kind of go to Terry McLaurin or whatever. None of that exists this year. The defense has been obviously, you know, essentially atrocious. The, The line even with Sweat and Young, wasn't getting the job done. I put up a stat today. McLaurin, not only is he not top 90 receiving yards this year, last time he did it was December 4th of last year in that tie against the Giants. That's almost a full calendar year when your number one guy is uh, not generating that type of production. And I'm not putting it on him. I'm putting it on the team's inability to find ways to get him the ball, whether that's Sam Howell just being being super diligent about like following his progressions or be enemy or whatever. Like this is, this is a huge problem. You have to have something to lean on. What is your identity? And ultimately, you know, we get here to now probably to the close to the end of the round of era era. And this year there is none. No, there's not. And, you know, it's becoming painful with Ron, you know, his uh, press conference on Friday where he talked a lot about his status as head coach. And then we saw, you know, the post-game presser on Sunday. And, 
you know, I think he knows. I, I think he's known for a while. I mean, I, I think when he back in July was talking about how he had to prove himself to Josh Harris, was auditioning for Josh Harris, almost felt like that was a subcommunication of, I see the writing on the wall. You know, those comments that Ron made to John Kime about, you know, if I get fired, but uh, the team does well, send me my ring, you know, that kind of a thing. Like, I think Ron has understood where this is going. And, you know, I do wonder, like, in a, in a normal ownership circumstance, would Ron have lasted beyond last season? You know, like that loss to the Browns, would that have resulted in Ron being fired? And the, the, the concern that I think we a lot of us had for this season was that it was this lame duck season, and we all kind of knew where everything was headed, and uh, the inevitable was not imminent, even though we all knew that the inevitable was going to end up happening, and that would be this big regime change. And you know, you think about like what could have been had the sale of the team been completed, say, in January instead of July, you know, something like that. But obviously that did not happen. You know, I, I did feel like this team could be good this season. Like I thought this could be a 10 win team this season. I thought that there was a lot to like with this team. You know, I, I do come back to, you know, have we overrated some of the players on this team? Like I, I know a lot of the venom now is being spewed at the coaches and justifiably so, you know, I'm not trying to take them off the hook, trust me, but. You know, when you're this bad, especially on defense, you do wonder, too, like, you know, how much change is needed here? And is it as simple as fire Jack Del Rio and defense is good? Or is there a lot more that needs to be done here? And, you know, I, I do wonder about that. So I, I think that's part of the uh, malaise here right now, if you're a fan of this team, is that, you know, we're trying to get our arms around all that needs to be fixed because I don't think that we know exactly the answer to that, you know, and I think there could be a lot more here that needs to be addressed than we realize. And uh, I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. To, to your point of like, how deep is the problem? Let's go back to the beginning. You know, we, be, we for the first two or three years, we were calling this team the, uh, or, or at least once they changed the name of the commanders, we were calling them what the, the com commanders, because of all the Carolina ties to Rivera, right? The player part doesn't even bother me so much because you got to fill out a big roster. And, you know, we, I, I'm sure it hasn't, I'm trying to think, like, it hasn't all worked out. But, you know, Tyler Larson was one of those guys. F.A. Albada, who unfortunately had a, a significant injury last night, was one of those guys. Taylor Heineke was one of those guys. Kyle Allen was, you know, whatever. Like, it wasn't, you know, fine. But my issue was more on the, other side, the, the 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 staff side, both coaching and the front office, because there, you know, the whole point is sort of like, what is your, what is your brain capacity? What is your ingenuity? What are you coming up with? And he took the same group basically that he had in Carolina. A lot, you know, so many coaches brings in Marty Herney, brings in Eric Stokes, and it was like. Mm, are we going outside our box at all? Right. I mean, like the first year, the only people who were sort of new to the staff, they really were some of the holdovers in the front office, like Tim Gribble, who was running the college scouting, uh, a couple other coaches that were Cap Nate Katz or Randy Jordan. But then you had the, he hires Jack Del Rio. Now he hires Del Rio on day one. I think we, we, we know they know each other from a hundred years of both being prep stars in, in the state of California and on through the years. And then he brings in Chris Harris as the defensive backs guy, the enemy this year was sort of the rare one to be outside of that um, group. And I think the thing is like, what what's the plan? Like, what are you actually trying to accomplish here? Right. And, and I, and I take it. And, and for one example of that for this year, let's look at the receivers. 
we just discussed it, right? Terry McLaurin, he's been fine, but like the numbers haven't been productive. Jahan Dodson's obviously been way off. Uh, you know, it would make sense to bring in a coordinator who who looks at it and says, "Well, okay, you have these weapons here. We need to go there." Eric Bieniemy, I, I know he's done some reasonable stuff. It's his first year as a full time play caller, but it hasn't been that way. The, the, he's not. He's. I mean, look at what he did. What they did in Kansas City. It was mostly about the tight end. Obviously, they have the best one. Um, and when you had a Tyree kill, that was sort of a special circumstance almost. He's not a guy, it seems to me, for this this roster, which is fine if there's a longer-term plan. But it never feels like there's a longer-term plan here. It's just all, we, well, we got to fill a hole. And so many times when they've had to promote somebody because somebody left or whatever, he just, who's on the staff? Well, we're looking outside the building. I mean, Biennemi almost doesn't even count as outside the building because it came from Andy Reid. Ron Rivera's guy, right? So, um, I there there just seemed to be no vision as a plan and as a collective staff to 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 figure out what you do, and you have to have a plan. Like I, I mean, I know that sounds obvious, but these things all have to connect. You can't just say, "Well, we have we're going to draft these receivers, and then we're later we're going to hire this coordinator." What what where does this work? Is is it make sense to do this? I, I just feel like there was too much of that, and and to your to your point of like how deep is the hole. If they do blow everybody out, which seems like the likely scenario at this point, hopefully whoever is making the next brand of hires doesn't just look within his own world. I know that tends to happen in in sports, but looks beyond that. Who do what is interesting? Who have I recognized that seems like a good coach or whatever? Make those kinds of moves. I think that is important, and this is something I just think was sorely lacking these past four years. Yeah, you know, the lack of the plan thing is so funny when you think about it because the same person who is in charge of player personnel is the head coach. And so you would think, if anything, you're going to have a plan. You're going to have cohesion because you have this coach-centric approach. I mean, that was one of the problems with the organization with Bruce Allen and Jay Gruden. There was a lack of organizational alignment that I, I think really came to hurt this team. You would think, well, same guy in charge of player personnel – and also with the head coach, you wouldn't have that issue. And yet you have had that because in part, you know, the plan has changed so many times because I think Ron has changed his mind on what the plan is so many times because you are kind of uh, making it up as you go or sort of, you know, uh, flip-flopping on certain things depending on who's doing what and sort of which way the wind is blowing. You, you think too, at least I do, about like the what-ifs along the, the ways here. You know, like you, you think about this complete, falling off of a cliff of the secondary. And I know at times we overvalue position coaches, but boy, it's hard to ignore. Chris Harris leaves, Brent Bieselmeyer gets promoted, and the secondary is an absolute mess this season. Now, you know, it is true that Harris was in charge of the defensive backs in 2021 when the defensive backs struggled. So, you know, I don't want to sit here and say Chris Harris is Vince Lombardi, but boy, you do wonder about something like that. I, I wonder about something like Kyle Smith. And I know that there were personal uh, issues between Ron Rivera and Kyle. And I know that Kyle can lack, uh, you know, a bedside manner. But, boy, I thought that he was doing a pretty good job here. And he gets ousted, and Ron brings in the two Martys. And if you looked at the resumes of Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew in January of 2021 when they got hired here, I mean, they are resumes of mediocrity. Now, they have done some good things. It's not like it's all bad. But there have been a lot of misses, and there was nothing about either guy that screamed, okay, you know, player personnel excellence. Like, what you got was 
player personnel mediocrity with those guys. And I think that's what you've had here, you know, over the years with those two uh, in addition to Ron. Like, it's not that the player personnel has been atrocious. It's that it's been just so-so. Like, there have been some hits, but there have been a lot of misses. And there have not been nearly enough hits to where this team is in an appreciably better place as compared to just a few years ago. And, and so, you know, as we are in what clearly are the dying days of the Ron Rivera regime, you know, you, you just you think about these things. And look, maybe if Kyle Smith stays, this team is in the exact same spot. You know, I, I know we all can be guilty, myself included, of the Ashburn syndrome thing of like overvaluing people who were here and go elsewhere. But I don't know, man, like Kyle Smith, to me, younger guy. You know, he had the chops to stand up to Dan Snyder on draft night 2019 when Dan forced a selection of Dwayne Haskins. Like, I thought he was doing some good things. And instead, like what you said, Ron goes right to the comfort zone of Marty Herney. And, you know, Martin Mayhew, I guess, had not worked with Ron before. But, you know, here we are three years after the fact of those guys being hired to run this revamped Washington front office. And, you know, mediocre at best are the results in terms of drafting and free agency. And I do think that that's a significant part of why this team is where it is. Well, well, and you said a lot of great things in there, including about the position coach. But just to stick to the front office part, like obviously the draft is more than just two rounds or the first two picks. You know, the the Cam Curls and the Sam Howells can be found. All okay. But like you look at this group here, right? 2020, which was the Kyle Smith last year. First two picks, Chase Young, Antonio Gibson. Chase Young no longer here. Um, Antonio Gibson's going to be a free agent, and I wouldn't assume he'll be back. Could be, but I'm not going to assume that. 2021, first two picks, Jamin Davis and Sam Cosme. I think Cosme's looking like he can be a legit piece for this line. I, I think Jamin Davis has shown me this year that they need two linebackers next year. I mean, Cody Barton's a free agent, so there's that. I mean, Jamin Davis, I, I, I'm not saying covering a Saquon Barkley on a wheel rat is easy, but every team knows to do this all the time on this guy he's not improved and maybe they're using him wrong maybe i don't know kind of know why frankly they're just not lining him up a defensive end frank at this point considering the injuries and what he's best at but that hasn't worked 2022 john dodson and who was the second pick uh oh Fedarian mathis okay mathis has had the injury so i'll sort of give him the pass except to say that the point of taking a defensive tackle in the second round was to the fear of deron Payne leaving but now you have the second round pick who's like, he's like, there's no path for him. And then you have Jahan Dodson who's forget the fact that like the numbers have been off this year. He's obviously shown to be a pretty good receiver, good pick on them. But to what end the, you know, they were like, seems like so fixated on this whole, um, uh, what, uh, crap. What was the term used for the, uh, for the, for the, for the reach for the receivers, uh, catch radius. They were so fixated on catch raiders because of Carson Wentz, I guess. They said, screw it. Let's overweight ourselves at a position that is a massively dependent position. We already have Terry McLaurin, who we're going to have to pay. And I know Curtis Samuel is coming off the injury year, but like, you know, y- y- you can find receivers all over the place. I mean, even this year, like if you took Curtis Samuel off the roster between Diami and Byron Pringle and Crowder, that's okay. What, what was the point of that? So like this, even that their top draft picks for four years in a row, I'm not saying like they've all been bad or I didn't can't I understand can't understand why they're doing it. I'm just saying there's no cohesive plan. Nothing. See, it doesn't make sense when you look at it all. And on top of it, there's kind of no building blocks. Like we can maybe just leave Jahan in there. But beyond that, eh. and and like that's not the only issue. But just using you know going off your point, like the guy in charge, he needed to have a full throated GM. 
it feels like on some level he wanted to have the power and then not really relinquish anything, thus get, bringing in Herney, who was his guy, and Mayhew, who, you know, is kind of, I'm not to speak for Martin Mayhew, but like, you know, kind of seems like he was willing to take the promotion from where he was, even if it meant not being r- truly in charge the way other GMs are. The whole thing about Ron getting the player personnel power, I, I think is worth revisiting too. Like, he didn't do that in Carolina. He gets fired in Carolina. Then he gets hired here and he gets a higher level of job because here he's head coach and in charge of player personnel. And it's like, why did that have to happen? You know, I know Dan Snyder gave the spiel about how we study things and the coach centric approach is what seems to work best. And of course, you know, there are a variety of front office approaches that work well in the NFL. There is no one way uh, to skin the cat, but you know, was there like that intense competition for Ron Rivera's services to where Washington, in order to get him, had to give him player personnel control? Well, I because- think just to, not to cut you off, but this is exactly so where Dan Snyder screwed everybody. Now, Rivera claimed he he would have had other offers. Maybe he's not wrong. I mean, you know, he, there was some good success at Carolina. The problem is Dan Snyder couldn't get anybody. Who, who was coming here with any credibility? And you needed a lot because the we hadn't even gotten at that point, at least publicly, to all the allegations that came out that led to three years of hearings and investigations and all that stuff. Just they needed some credibility. And Ron gave you that from a perception. But he's not a dummy. He, why would he want to come here unless he's got a situation that's better than what he can probably get somewhere else just as a coach? And unfortunately, that's kind of why they had to do it. Yeah, I, I just I wonder if, Ron maybe conned Dan and and made Dan think that Ron wouldn't come here unless Ron got the player personnel when maybe Ron would have come here without the player personnel control. I don't know. I mean, you know, we remember how that went down, right? Like you had Washington with an opening and Dallas had the opening right into the hiring Mike McCarthy. So, you know, I guess it's possible Ron could have gotten another job. But I don't know, man. It, it just it seemed like an overreach to give someone who had never done player personnel control before player personnel control. And, you know, when you look at Ron's tenure in Carolina, like you said, he did some good things, but it wasn't this, you know, whopper of a run to where you're like, oh, my God, you got to give him whatever he wants because you got to get that guy here. Um, you know, now maybe you say, well, Dan really wanted Ron here to do the whole culture thing, which is a funny thing in and of itself, because that's basically Dan saying, save me from myself, you know, fix our culture when Dan, of course, was in charge of the culture. But yeah, I mean, just looking back on that, it it is funny. A guy who had never been in charge of player personnel is given the keys to player personnel. And the results have been, you know, mixed at best. Like I said, I mean, you can find some hits, but you cannot find nearly enough hits and the state of the roster does not, you know, slap you across the face in terms of being really good. And so, you know, four years into this, you, you can't say anything other than this coach-centric run for Ron has not worked out well. And, um, you know, that's why, I, you know, I, I think going forward, I think it's going to be interesting what Josh Harris is open to. Like I said, I, I don't think you, you have to say, well, you can never do a coach-centric approach again. Like, there are a variety of approaches that work in the NFL. But th- this, to me, has been instructive of – Man, if you're going to have one guy in charge of everything, he better be great at both things. And Ron has not been great at either thing. He's been mediocre at best at each thing. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, no doubt um, about it. Um, You know, we, we can move on from this, but I would just say it's not enough to say, hey, you have final say. 
but then what? I mean, you know, again, Snyder, I think was just, he needed to do something. And, you know, to a certain degree, it worked, right? I mean, Rivera, without, can you imagine this, you know, in a world where, you know, I like Jay Gruden, he's a guest on the show. Can you imagine how Jay Gruden would have been there as the front of the face of this franchise during all the COVID stuff? And as the allegations started at all, I mean, Rivera did a really good job in the, in that, in that sense, um, so, you know, by every account, seems like a really good person and that helped, but the, the rest of it was just too much. They need, you know, Pete Carroll has a coach centric thing, but John Schneider is a real GM. So, you know, th- th- that whole thing kind of just did not uh, work um, b- before we before we uh, get out of here, just just to go back to yesterday. So, so much went wrong before, well, but during and then after the game with the no cold water in the showers, I, I, I need an inside report on how bad the Giants train ride home smells um, after, after that. But uh, w- w- was there anything for you from the game that sort of, uh, you know, a, a lingering thought that you're gonna you think you'll you'll kind of carry with you when you look back on this season well I think there is this ultimate statement about the 2023 commanders defense in that in a game in which the defense generated a whopping nine sacks and held the Giants to zero net yards rushing for all but one snap of the third quarter through three quarters the defense still played poorly and and I feel like that in a nutshell is the 2023 commander's defense inexplicably and incomprehensibly bad like you have to be really bad to in a game in which you generate nine sacks and have dominant run defense for the majority of the game to have what is what was unequivocally a bad game and yet that was the case with the defense like nobody's going to sit here and say well the defense played well in that game no it did not it was a bad game for the defense even with the nine sacks and the good run defense for most of the game and I think that in so many ways captures this 2023 commander's defense. It makes no sense that this defense is as bad as it is. Little in the way of injury, a lot in the way of draft capital. Year four of the same defensive coordinator. A lot of guys who were here uh, the last few years still here this year. And yet somehow, some way, this defense is really bad. It, It really is something. It's hard to explain. It's hard to put a finger on. You wonder if at the end of the season, we're going to get a lot in the way of reports and articles on things that were going on behind the scenes that we were not privy to, because, you know, at at least then you might have some sort of an explanation for what the heck was happening here with this defense. But yeah, I mean, look, the six turnovers were horrible. The offense was not good, but you know, you can sort of write that off to, you're not going to commit six turnovers every game. And we know that the offense is a work in progress. The defense was supposed to lead the way and that the defense has been this hindrance that the defense has gotten in the way as opposed to have led the way. It, uh, it, it really is tough. And, you know, I find myself caring less and less about the defense because it, I just I feel like everything's going to be different next year. You're going to have a new defensive coordinator. You're going to have a bunch of new defensive players. You're going to have a new defensive system. So I, I think at this point, it's almost silly to get worked up over the who and what with this defense because I think a lot of change is coming. I, I think if you're a fan of this team, you care about Sam Howell. You want him to continue to do well. You want him to stay healthy. Uh, but with the defense, I, I think we're past the point of anger. You know, I, I think we're at a point of it's all going to be different next season. So whatever happens the rest of this season happens. And uh, it's unfortunate that we're at that point, but we are. And this really is going down as one of the most disappointing defensive seasons for Washington that I can remember. And we've had a lot of, you know, you think back to like 2016, you think back to 2021, there have been other seasons 
Uh, 2006 was a wretched defense off uh, back-to-back good seasons, 04-05. But, man, this season is something with just how bad this defense has been. And at least right now, there isn't a great explanation for why the defense has been as bad as it has been. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a wacky one for sure. Uh, not in a good way. And I think you, to your point about not worrying about the defense anymore, I think this is why I don't, I'm not nearly as uh, pounding the table to get Rivera or anybody else fired as others are, because what's the point? We, It's not like, it feels like people are concerned he'll be back. I just don't see a world that that's going to happen. <laughs> and like, you know, I mean, for me, I think that was almost the case from the beginning, other than just to say, you know, maybe they, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe things go well. You lose to the Bears, you lose to the Giants. Forget the second time even. It's like, okay, this is not progressing. Unless Sam Howe had turned into, and again, he's playing fine, but like unless he's, you know, started to lead this team to, to some bigger wins, what was the, you know, why would anybody think that? So I think too many people are just still maybe concerned that Josh Harris is just going to go with the status quo, in part because we've seen sort of lazy thinking in the whole Snyder era, not just putting that on on Rivera or anything. Um Hopefully that's part of the promise of the Josh Harris era, that it is going to be new thinking more, you know, whether it's because it's going to be more analytics or just a fresher view or willing to take more chances or think outside the box. I think all those things are at least more in play than they have been here. And that's why, again, I, nothing's going to change over the next six games to make me think anything different than like, they're going to big, big changes. And I would imagine Harris is there too. So that's why like, I, I, whatever you want Rivera fired now, cool but like i don't think it makes any difference no i think harris's mind was made up a while ago there's nothing about josh harris that suggests that he could be swayed into keeping ron at this point i mean like you said harris he's big on analytics he's big on forward thinking you know they hired this guy eugene chen if you listen to the things that he has said uh, you know this is not a, a a brass that in any way i think is accepting of what's going on right now. And so it's just a question of when, you know, it's not a question of if anymore with Ron and, and this regime, it's a question of, uh, of when the actual change ends up happening and it's going to happen. And, you know, I, I think really what's what in a lot of ways, what matters the most right now, you know, beyond Sam is what is Josh Harris thinking for what's next? And does he have people in mind? Is he still in the process of exploring that, you know, where is Josh in that process? So, you know, that's going to be interesting. By the way, with the water on Sunday, was it that there was no water after the game or no hot water? Because I've seen kind of dual reporting on that. Yeah. Um, I, my impression was that there was no hot water. I, I heard okay. players talking and it sounded like they, they were a couple of them were saying that it felt like when you get into one of those cold tubs, thus inferring <laughs> that there was cold. And I asked, um, one of the players like, Hey, so what's the deal? No hot water. And he said, yeah. I'm like, is this the first time it's happened? And he said, yeah, since he's been there. Um, so that was my impression. I do believe that others said they heard there was no water. I don't know if I, I, you know, I, clearly whatever was there was not good enough. And, you know, you can't, uh, taking a cold shower is, you know, you do what you got to do sometimes, but that's, uh, you know, you're already in your pain, you're sweaty, you're grow Like, you know, that's a lot for those guys. Well, the other thing, too, not to get too uh, gross here, but 
no water would mean you can't use the bathroom. So like, you know, there would be that element of things too. So yeah, that, that would be a big time issue if there was like zero water period uh, uh, at FedEx field. On right. I, that, 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 right. And, and they said like the, the, the explanation we got from a spokesperson was something malfunctioned in order to fix it. They would have had to turn off the whole system, which was not op- an option with 60,000 people there. So to right. your point, I feel like it's like you had to have the bathroom still going um, there, you know, therefore, there must have been something happening. Otherwise, we would have heard, "Hey, nothing's happening here." You know, I you know, presume that the issue was not just isolated to the to those guys in the locker room, but who knows? Um, all right. Uh, at Al Galdi on twit on Twitter slash X, uh, the Al Galdi podcast. Of course, you're already sub- listening to that, but if you aren't, make sure you check it out. And definitely subscribe as well. Um, I presume I will be back on there next week as we continue our rotation um i don't know man i just hope that um i i said this yesterday i'm just going straight selfish here i don't want any big changes until after the bye week <laughs> get me through the bye week it's not till week 14 i'm hoping to go out of town i've already bought some tickets just get us through past that then whatever you want to do josh harris go nuts but like get me through the bye week I hear you. We all remember what happened the night after Christmas in 2021 when uh, Washington played at Dallas. I just wonder if something like that might happen on Thanksgiving. And if it does, then unfortunately for you and the rest of us, uh, I feel like change could happen Thursday night, Friday morning. But, you know, with the way this team has been under Ron, watch the team play well, maybe even win on Thursday. That, That shouldn't change anyone's thinking on the bigger picture. But, like, that would be such a typical Washington under Ron Rivera thing to do. Play well this Thursday, maybe even pull off the upset. Yeah, I know. We keep saying that, but I don't know. If that, I think I think 2023 is kind of uh, disproven. <laughs> yeah, other happens. than the Eagles, they seem to play one good deal. Other than that, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right, Al, you rock. Thanks, man. Uh, happy Thanksgiving as well to you and yours, and uh, we'll we'll talk next week. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. All right, joining me here on the podcast, the one of the go-to guys, of course, to talk about this team, not just today, not just yesterday, not just tomorrow, but for many years, former player, longtime announcer, Rick Doc Walker joins me. Doctor, not, not <laughs> we're, we're talking uh, the day after the latest loss to the Giants. Uh, needless to say, that was an ugly affair. Uh, before we move to other topics, do you have any uh, takeaways from that game? that you're going to kind of remember as uh, we look back on this season? Well, disappointment. Um, I expected to win the game. I actually thought they'd play very well against an inexperienced quarterback, but the kid has a great arm. And uh, they gave him protection. We couldn't – we got to him, but we didn't get to him enough. And they started off well against the run, shut him down. But once again, their personality comes out, giving up big plays, turning the ball over, uh, miscues on special teams. So, you know, everybody, as Coach Gibbs used to always, everybody was involved. Everybody contributed to the loss. Yeah, I think it's a good, succinct way of, of getting into that. And, you know, I've talked enough about that game. So we don't need to rehash it here too much. But I think for those of, for the people who weren't aware that, Changes are likely to be coming here at the end of the year. Hopefully, yesterday's loss was like a you know anvil to the head to recognize that this is not going to continue, and whatever the changes are to be, the new ownership group is going to do something likely significant this offseason. That said, 
you know, is her, you know, you are a constant reminder of the glory days for this team presence. I mean, obviously, from you know, the from the Joe Gibbs 1.0 era, there has not been that much to celebrate at all. But you were a reminder of that. And then yesterday at the stadium, we had John Riggins and Joe Theismann there, obviously further reminders of what was. Um, it's easy to say, do things like the way Joe Gibbs did back in the day. That that's you know, that's a little simplistic. But I am curious if the owners came to you, maybe they maybe they have, and said, Hey Doc, how do we what do we need to do? Not not just in terms of personnel, but 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 the vibe, the attitude, the understanding of what it takes to be a commander, what's acceptable here. What are some of the things, if anything, that you would tell them or suggest to them that they need to consider when making potentially new hires, coach, GM, et cetera? Well the the most important thing is you have to select the right people that you bring here to play for you. And that's the talent evaluation. They haven't been horrible in that area. I mean, and I call mid-rounders. You can't blow the early picks, but we've done that forever. Our second-round picks, I mean, they're endangered species. <laughs> and so it all starts on the selection. Good teams have better players. And the really good teams get players, they get mid-round players, late-round players to become Pro Bowl players. So development, it's not a one-trick only. You can't fix it in one dose. It does start with the quarterback. You have to have a quarterback. And then to me, you have to have an offensive line and then next to defensive line. My top ten players are four defensive linemen, five offensive linemen, and a quarterback. And so I think if you look at that, overall, though they've invested heavily in one side of it, they haven't gotten just people in the league at those positions that clearly outperformed all of them. So you didn't get a bell cow. You have really good players. But the kid we played against yesterday inside, he's a monster. Dexter Lawrence you're talking about. He's a monster. That's what I'm saying. Our guys are damn good, but do you have a guy like him? I haven't seen it. Not consistently. Because you didn't show up yesterday. That was the time, whatever you had, that was the time to get it done to be that type of impact player. Nobody can block you one-on-one. I mean, once again, how many games we had, a guy like Thibodeau who has two really good games a year against us. And yet for the second time, we don't find a way – to emphasize blocking him. And it's not just on Leno. That's on the scheme, quarterback getting rid of the ball, double team, chipping, tight inside, whatever. That's their job to figure it out. But the report card does not look good afterwards. They yeah. had all week. It's not my job. It's their job to figure it out. And they failed miserably now twice. It's not like the Giants. They don't hide what they do. We're coming. Okay. So you knew it. It was a better plan than in New York. But when you look at what teams have just recently done to the Giants, you can evaluate it and say you underachieved in that category. There's some positives. I mean, Sam, I mean, you, you can't get a guy that has more determination that fights for you, but love Terry, love Jahan and them guys. But we've seen there's another level to those people. We've seen it throughout the league. You know, so we've got good but are we paying for great? This is an investment. If I was an owner, I'm going, where are we putting our resources? Did you get a substantial return on your investment? That's why the two kids, the two ends are gone. 
because they didn't feel like they were worthy of what they would have had to invest in them. A hundred percent on that. I mean, I've been saying all year, but before the trades, you know, between the first round picks and then the money paid and the potential money to be paid for the two ends, they were getting good play. They were fine this year, but the, the whole structure of the team was for those guys to be more dominant. We saw some of that in the first two games. I keep saying imposing the first two games of the year against Arizona and Denver. We saw some of that, but it's very few in between really almost none. You know, I'm not talking about a splash play. It's, it's, it's something sustainable and it's not, it's not been there um, at, at all. And, and, and to that point about, you know, good, but not great. You know, even a few weeks ago, and I was looking ahead thinking, okay, Harris, and he's going to hire somebody new. It's a pretty attractive situation when you consider that $90 million, the obligation picks with those trades. Not a bad deal, if anything, if Sam Howell develops. You've got a young quarterback. And you also have Brandon Block. You have John Allen, Deron Payne, Terry McLaurin. But I thought there would be more than those guys. And those guys are good. Like you said, they're not necessarily. Oh, they're damn good. Yeah, yeah. They're damn good. Right. Yeah. But, like, but, but you, you, you saw Detroit. Their first round pick, playmaker, creates havoc, Aiden Hutchinson, changes yeah. the game. Yeah, guy in Atlanta. I mean, the guy in uh, Vegas, the guy in Cleveland, the guy in Cleveland is a wrecking crew. So neither one of our guys were in that on the, in that level. Right, and even even in the game yesterday, you're talking about like the defensive guys. You know, Saquon Barkley. Obviously, we know people. You know that he's one of the better running backs in the league. But yesterday was a good example of just how special he is. They, they couldn't run the ball early on, particularly, and yet he was still the most dominant offensive player in the game because of his pass catching ability. Even though Tommy DeVito at quarterback, a completely inexperienced guy, their offensive line is you know wrecked with injuries, and still Saquon Barkley was a massive factor, even though. If you just think to yourself, well, how do we take him out and let the, let anything else happen? But they, you can't do it because that guy is that good, and they don't have you know. I like Brian Robinson's progression, et cetera. But like, yeah, it's not there yet. Um, and and that's good. That's an evaluation thing, and so on. Um, beyond that, you also need you know some of your other key pieces, your other starters. Guys like say Jahan Dodson, Benjamin St. Juice. Players and maybe better than that, but this year it hasn't quite been there. Do you see besides the Allen, the Payne, McLaurin's, when you're looking at the next year, you're going, This is a guy that I think you can put as a building block piece, or I'm hoping you see that over the last six games. Well, guys do flat. I mean, if you, if you look at uh, Gibson, I mean, everybody has shown you that they're really good players, but. I think that if I were evaluating from the outside in, I go, who can you afford to be without? I mean, when I, we look at certain these teams, you could go Jefferson, you go, no. I mean, it's just, we don't have anybody on his level. And now, and this all has to tie in the better protection, the better receivers would be because a kid can throw. He's a unique arm talent. No doubt about that. I would love to see what it would be. Don't know if it'll happen. If he were to be able to have an off season with the enemy and to be able to not have to learn a whole new system, I think that's promising. But I don't know if it'll happen. But I do think that's promising. So you, you can't make up. You can't make up for all your mistakes 
in one shot. The key is to stop making them. You know, and when you look at your number one pick, and your number one pick has not changed the game. He's not a game changer. At corner, your number two pick is now starting to barely play. So you've invested draft capital in the people that are good but not great. You needed somebody that could pass, protect, and block in need. It's easy looking back in hindsight, but we talked about it during the case. Offensive line was a priority, and they went after two guys that are good but not great. Um, so, you know, I look at this and go, that's what I mean critically. This is not – this is like putting together a gumbo or, or, or a stew. It's a lot of different pieces and components to it. But you got to damn sure make sure your key components are the best they can be, the best you can get your hands on. Now, I'm sure they had a lot of skull sessions when they went into who they were going to, how they were going to build this draft. How do you evaluate it? Oh, I mean, I think this offseason's been pretty miserable across the board to the draft for agency. I mean, maybe yeah. the young guys develop over time, but for this year, they've been almost co- collectively non-factors and even detrimental um, that hurts you. at times. That, hurt, that, hurt, that hurts you. Uh, you know, Chris Paul, Sadiq Charles, hurt again. Um, you know, Cosmos, he's a high pick, and he's solid. I thought when he went for tackle a guard, we had a chance to be a potential pro bowler. You know, but it's still his first season, you know, at guard. I like him. I like – I mean, these guys are good players. So if they're good players, then you got to have a great scheme. you got great players you can run like Michigan did against Penn State. It's a pass the second half. They just out-personnel them. That's a pretty good group of people out of Penn State. They just out-personnel them. <laughs> right. Who have we been able to out-personnel? Nobody. No. Nobody. No. And this league is very, you know, are you going to impose your will on somebody? But yet again, what gives me hope is that, and it also puts even more glaring evaluation on the team, is how do you play the champs as well as you play the Eagles? Twice. So you can elevate to that. But then you hit the elevator button, you play the Bears, you're right at the bottom. <laughs> so as an investor, if you're looking at this from the outside in, you go, they don't suck. They got a lot of potential. But this group has not been able to bring that to fruition. Um, Doc, I, I, I'm going to give you the radio uh, game here and tell you I got about 60 seconds to go, not okay. for commercial, because Ron Rivera is going to talk you. to I you. But, but I, no, no, but I did want to ask you one last thing. I'm not asking you to weigh in on what should happen with Ron Rivera, but a lot of the fans out there and others have said, hey, make the coaching change now, or at least maybe after the Dallas game, and give Eric Bieniemy a shot to show what he can do. My question to you as a former player and somebody who's been around this, is that a thing? Can an interim coach in five games left show something, or is he like, or is he almost better off not getting that opportunity because it's just too complicated to be an interim football coach uh, at this stage of a season? Yeah, I don't see any value in that. Don't do anything to take him away from training your quarterback. Perfect. You know, keep yeah. that keep keep that going and going. You're already in a mess. You're not going to clean this mess up in one week. But what you want to do is bring out bring out the mo- as many positives as you possibly can out of this group, so you have a clear evaluation. Because you got to have a samurai sword in your hand in January, and you want to make sure those evaluations are based on what you see, 
not what you think is going to happen. I think that'd be a panic move. Doctor, you uh, calling you is never the panic move. Always the first choice. Uh, tell everybody. I, I know you've got your Patreon. Tell everybody where they can find you if they want to hear more from the doctor. Hey man, you know, hit me on X at Rick Doc Walker and uh, and on Ben Standing Room Only podcast that haven't been on in about eight months. You're on right now. Well, okay. Well, I made it back. All right, good. <laughs> uh, good. Give Sheehan my best. All right, brother. Uh, have yeah. a good one. Enjoy Ron. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it.